The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is best-selling author, international speaker, and consultant, Tema Frank. She has more than three decades of experience in business and marketing strategy, usability testing, and customer experience improvement. She started using the Internet for email in 1991, and she launched her first website in 1995. She's been immersed in the web world ever since. And in 2001, she launched Web Mystery Shoppers, Inc., which was one of the world's first usability testing companies to do large sample size remote usability testing of websites and web-related customer experience. So she's been out this a while. In 2012, she created the Frank Online Marketing Show, which has now become the Frank Reactions Podcast, and she extended her digital and customer experience consulting, speaking, and teaching services. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Canada's Best Employers for Women, a guide for job hunters, employees, and employers, and she's currently working on her second book, People Shock, The Path to Profits When people rule. And that's what we're going to be talking about mostly today. Welcome to the show, Tema. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right. Let's talk about that book. Uh, what is in the book? What's the topic of it? And let, let's, you know, an overview of it, and then we'll just really start digging down into the meat of it. Absolutely. Okay. So people shock is about the fact that as more and more is becoming automated and digitized and supplanted by artificial intelligence, what's happening ironically is that human connection and the people factor are becoming more and more important because ultimately how well you interact with people is going to affect whether or not your company can really differentiate itself in an era where it's so easy for anybody to copy any great idea really quickly and get it out to a large market really quickly. So that's essentially what the book is about. And where I go from there is that in order to to stand out based on the people factor, it means essentially you need three elements, all of which create great customer experience if you use them all together. And those three, I call it the 3P profit formula, and that's promise, people, and process. And I can get into those more if you want, but I'll uh, give you a chance to uh, see where you'd like to take it yeah, from there then. Ab- absolutely. Uh, we'll dig into those. It, it's kind of ironic, I think, that in this t- time, in this day and age where businesses seem to be very uh, vocal about wanting happy customers, and that's a message that we hear all the time, and yet when you hear from customers, when I – 
talk sometimes about my own customer experiences. When I talk with my friends and family about their customer experiences, it seems like there are fewer and fewer satisfied customers out there. Why is it when this seems to be the goal more and more for companies, the opposite is happening in terms of the customer experience, that the ratings are actually dropping? Well, I think there are a couple of things happening there. I think the main factor is customer standards and expectations are getting higher and higher. We've all uh, become subject to what I call the Amazon effect. And the Amazon effect is basically companies like Amazon have set the bar really, really high. So they've got huge selection, low prices, fast, cheap delivery, uh, great customer service. Although I've got to say now from the publisher side trying to sell on Amazon, it's a little harder than trying to buy on Amazon. Um, But overall, they've done an outstanding (laughs) job. And they've set the bar really high. So customers are expecting more than they ever did before. And I think companies are really, really struggling to come to grips with that. So I think that's the biggest issue. But the other issue is, I think in a lot of organizations, it's lip service. They know that they need to say customers matter to us, but they aren't looking at all the variables. They aren't looking at things like not just how do we treat our ultimate customers, but how do we treat the staff who serve those customers. If you've got unhappy staff, you're not going to have happy customers. And what are our processes like? Do we have processes that are making it impossible for us to actually serve customers well? So, so often they just look at the outside view of what they're saying out there to the public and they don't think through what are the implications internally. Right, and they don't give their employees who are actually interacting daily with the customers the authority to uh, make changes in the midst of the experience yeah. and, and to uh, you know make that better for them. I'm really glad that you brought up, though, about Amazon because I use that example myself a lot. A lot of times when we're thinking about who are our competitors out there and how do we measure up against them, we're thinking uh, you know, very vertically. We're thinking strictly about our industry. But you've got mm-hmm. Amazon out there that they may not be your direct competitor, but, boy, in terms, like you pointed out, in terms of the customer experience, they're everybody's competitor. That's what we measure it by, and I don't think people can hear that message enough, that, that you really have to pay attention outside of, your own little world of what's going on and what people are experiencing in other places. So uh, what are some of the things that businesses can do to improve the customer experience? I mean, I I mentioned one, obviously, you can empower your people. Yes, empowering your people is absolutely important. And to go with that empowerment, it means you've got to train them well. And it really comes Mm -hmm. back to what are your organization's core values? Um, I know this is getting into soft stuff, which a lot of people are uncomfortable with. But (laughs) when I talk about the first P, the promise, the promise is why are you doing what you're doing? How does it inspire people? And what are the values and beliefs that underlie that? And the reason I think that's important is because if you're telling your frontline staff you've got permission to do whatever is appropriate to make a customer satisfied, they need some kind of guidance about okay, in this situation, you can't predict every situation. Right. So what, what is the filter that I run this by to determine what's an appropriate reaction? Um, so often, frontline staff are very uncomfortable deviating from the rules because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. 
But if you've got those core principles and values that everybody in your organization understands, then they're not likely to get in trouble because they'll have a good filter on which to base their decisions. Let's talk about the other two ingredients in that profitability model that you mentioned earlier. Uh, what are the other two? Okay, so the other two are people and process. So let's talk briefly about the people. And it's interesting because when I say people in a business context, everyone assumes staff, and staff are hugely important. So that is a very big chunk of the book. But but there are also external people, and that doesn't just mean customers and prospects. There are a whole range of other types of people that we often forget about, but who really do ultimately have a big impact on our customers' experience. So that would include people like suppliers. If you don't have good relationships with your suppliers and they run into a situation where they're running behind schedule, who do you think they're going to favor to make sure their products get out the door on time? It won't be you. Mm -hmm. If you've got that good relationship, it will be you. So supplier relationships are important distributors, resellers, franchisees, they're your public face. Those relationships are important. And even some that people don't always think about, like your lenders, the people who are financing you, you want to have good relationships with them so that they'll give you the benefit of the doubt as you work to improve customer experience. Because I think you asked earlier, why do we see customer experience not being so good? Partially, a lot of companies that are publicly traded, they've become so obsessed on quarterly results. And to turn around customer experience from something that's generally kind of negative to consistently positive, it's going to take more than one quarter. So you need to foster good relationships with those people as well so that they'll give you the freedom to make those longer-term serious changes that will result in long-term profitability way above the norm. Instead Ab- of just pissing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the the other piece to that on the finance side, especially, I'm 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 glad that you keep taking this broader look. Uh, again, just like you can't just stay in your own vertical to assess who your competitors are, you have to look outside what Amazon and others are doing. Uh, but same way with the the finance piece here, um, you might have a vendor who uh, or a situation where you can't pay your vendor because somebody else's receivable is taking forever uh, to come into your account. So you mm-hmm. want to have that relationship so that you don't have your supply flow cut off to your customers necessarily, that things can stay seamless. So there's all these things, as you said, that go into it. But so often we're just looking very myopically at this one little piece, and it's a much broader picture that you're painting here. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny because when I wrote the book, when I started writing it, I thought it was really going to be a marketing book. And Mm -hmm. then the more I wrote, the more I realized this has to cross silos. It affects every area of your organization. And so I I sort of broadened the focus because it had to be broadened. You cannot create consistently good customer experiences in a vacuum. It has to go across the organization. It brings Mm -hmm. me to that third P, which is process. And This is an area where I think an awful lot of organizations fall down because they don't really think through what are the implications of what we're promising in terms of how we do things internally. So I, and really, I think I first learned that lesson many, many years ago, one of my first jobs, I was working in a bank 
and we were opening a bunch of new bank branches and our motto was always ahead in personal service and we hired fantastic frontline staff in fact we actually recruited them not for their banking knowledge we recruited people who were great servers in restaurants and bars because they knew how to relate to customers and we figured we could train them on the banking and we could no problem the problem was in the back end and head office kept messing things up over and over and over again And the fact is, there's only so many times your fabulous frontline staff can say, I'm sorry, before the customer says, you know, I really like you personally, but I'm taking my business elsewhere. So you need to Mm -hmm. think through what do we need to improve in terms of processes. And you need to look at that from the customer's perspective, not just your internal perspective. So what does the customer want? When do they want it? How do they want it? What are the implications for us internally so we can give them that? All great advice. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to continue talking with Tema about what the ROI is when you can improve that customer experience. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back with Tema Frank. Looking to establish your brand as an industry leader? Want to deliver helpful, relevant content to your niche audience? Look no further. Our staff at Custom Publishing can produce branded newsletters, magazines, podcasts, and so much more. We'll take you from concept to distribution or assist you with any stage in between. Writing, editing, design, audio production, voiceovers, digital, print. If you have a communication need, we have a solution. Call 913-831-8100. Call us today and discuss the possibilities. That's 913-831-8100 for all your custom publishing needs. I'm Sarah. I'm Ellen. One night, I was at a bar. One night. I was at a bar. I had one too many drinks. I had one too many drinks. I got behind the wheel. I got a cab. A squirrel ran across the road. A squirrel ran across the road. I swerved. The cab swerved. I hit a guy. The cabbie just missed a guy. I wish I took a cab. Thank goodness I took a cab. You have the choice to save a life. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're talking here this morning with Tema Frank. She is the author of an upcoming book called People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. And we've been talking about even though customer service and creating these great customer experiences seem to be top of mind for so many companies today, We're living at a time when customers themselves have said that the customer experience is more and more lacking. And so we're talking about some of the different ways to improve that customer experience. One of the key things is to look broadly uh, up and down uh, with all the people involved. Uh, What I'd like to talk about right now, Tema, is what is the ROI of investing in customer experience improvement? It's obviously there's some cost involved, but what's the ROI of that investment? I'm so glad you asked that, Kelly, because often people think there isn't one, and in fact, there's a huge one. So just a couple of examples for you. 
there's um, a thing called the American Customer Satisfaction Index, where they evaluate companies based on customer satisfaction. They did a study from looking at companies from the year 2000 till 2012. And if you had invested $100 in 2000 in the Standard & Poor 500 stock market index, the Standard Stock Market Index, by 2012, that $100 would have turned into $93. However, if you had invested it in the portfolio of companies that scored well in the American Customer Satisfaction Index, and again, it's a large and varied portfolio, that $100 would have turned into $490. So that's Mm -hmm. a pretty huge difference. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Forrester Research did a, a similar study where they found they looked at the top 10 versus the bottom 10 in their customer experience index rankings. And the shares of the top 10 between 2007 and 2012 increased by 43%. The bottom 10, they decreased by 34%. So pretty powerful numbers. And and there are some fairly clear reasons for that. One is, obviously, if you've got more satisfied customers, they're more likely to buy more, they're more likely to refer you to others. So your selling costs go down because you get more repeat and referral business. But also, if you're looking at that process element, what's really exciting about improving processes is, it doesn't sound exciting to most people, but really, (laughs) it can be. What's exciting is that it gives you the opportunity to not only make things better for all the people involved internally and externally, but you will typically end up cutting out costs because often those same processes that are frustrating your staff and your customers are also wasting huge amounts of time and money. So it actually lowers your costs to become more customer-friendly by improving processes. And I'm sure that's something that your clients overlook all the time. Is oh, yeah. it, you know, It's just not something that would be obvious. Let's talk about the early warning signs. What, what are some of the indicators that you might have a customer experience problem brewing? Thanks for asking that. That's uh, a good question because there are really obvious ones. I mean, you know, if the number of complaints or requests for refunds are increasing, you know for sure you've got a problem, right? But there are some that are a little more subtle. So, for instance, uh, if you look at your operation side of things, let's say you sell products. If the rate of product defects is increasing or if production is often delayed because equipment needs repairs or there are missing parts, those things will have downstream effects ultimately on customer experience because if those things are happening, your customers aren't getting as good quality products and they're not getting them on time. If uh, you look at your finance operations, if your organization is behind on sending out invoices or nobody's tracking and following up on unpaid bills, those things also will ultimately have customer experience impacts because, first of all, it's going to lead to cash flow problems, which means that Mm -hmm. you're likely to be going to be struggling in a bunch of ways. Mm -hmm. But also, it's usually an indicator that you just generally aren't well organized within your organization. And if you're not smooth in the process, there are probably multiple areas within your organization where that's happening. Another really good one is if you look at human resources, is it getting harder and harder to recruit and keep good workers? Um, If it is, there's a reason for that. Now, it may just be because your economy is booming, but even in a booming economy, if you're a great employer, and as I said, if you aren't a good employer, you're not likely to be delivering good service to customers either. Um, 
if you're a great employer, people want to work for you. Likewise, if absenteeism or sick leave are increasing. If you, I mean, think about it. If you're really, really excited and happy about your work, on those days when you're feeling eh, not so great, you'll go in anyway. But if you don't like your work and there's <laughs> one of those days, you're going to call in sick. So those are more sort of subtle things. And then the final one that I want to mention is on the leadership side, if there's a lot of disagreement within your executive team, there's typically a problem because it means that the staff aren't getting a consistent message. And it means as well that people aren't collaborating and and you've probably got a silo situation either building or that already exists. But on the flip side, if there's absolutely no disagreement at the executive level, that's also bad because it probably means that people are intimidated by the CEO. And if you're not getting everybody's ideas, you're not being as effective as you can be. You're you're becoming stagnant. Right. So you're not. Go ahead. You're you're not advancing. You're you're depending on the status quo to carry you forward when everybody else is moving ahead. Exactly. And the status quo, really, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Right, right. Again, all good insights. And I like the fact that you are uh, giving our listeners more than just, oh, well, because you had so many phone calls of people calling in complaining about this or that, which is the obvious answer to that question. You're taking a much deeper look at the organization and the things that can occur in the organization that translate into, that can translate into multiple bad customer service experiences. Let's talk a little bit about the digital age that we live in right now. It is so easy for somebody to go out and even if they didn't have a horrible experience, go out and say something really nasty about you on Yelp or other forms of social media. How do you deal with those types of situations? Yeah, and that's a really tricky one, and it can be a very, very frustrating one, particularly when people are saying things that really aren't fair. So there are a couple of things that I would advise there. First of all is, well, first of all, you want to be monitoring what's being said on social media, and it's amazing how many companies, even in the service industry, don't. So to start with, at very least, set up a couple of Google Google alerts and other tools just so you know if somebody's mentioning you online um, and you want to respond quickly. So the key is you don't want to sound defensive. You do want to apologize, even if it wasn't your fault. You want to say, look, we're really sorry that you had something upsetting happen. And then you try to get it offline. You say, we'd really like to talk to you in depth to make sure that we can resolve this problem and that we can turn it around for you. Would you please contact us offline or can we call you offline? How can we make that happen? So what you're doing there is you're sending a signal to anyone who's looking publicly, no, we're not afraid of criticism. We're actually open to hearing it and we want to deal with it. But you're also gently getting them out of that public venue. Now, there will be some people who just like the public attention and they'll keep blasting you. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Answer them once or twice, but then let it go. Uh, people will see that they're being unreasonable and, and it will die. Mm-hmm. The worst thing you can do is try and remove it because oh, you yes. <laughs> but that's just going to cause everything to flare up. So just, you know, you've you've made your public polite attempt to solve it. You've tried to get them to talk to you offline. If they're not willing, just let it go. Um, the other thing, though, is try to get proactive. 
And I, I realize that for a lot of companies, especially a lot of small businesses, the whole social media thing is kind of intimidating. And you can't be everywhere and you can't learn it all at once. But I would say pick one or two social media outlets that are relevant to the type of business you have. So if it's B2B, business to business, focus on LinkedIn, let's say. If it's something really consumer, you might want to focus on Facebook. Learn how those tools work and start building a bit of a community there and engaging in other people's communities. So if, um, and this is a common mistake I see companies make on LinkedIn in the business-to-business world is, let's say you sell uh, consulting services. So you join all these LinkedIn groups where they're filled with other consultants. Instead, join the LinkedIn groups that are filled with the industries you want to specialize in. Mm -hmm. And don't just start selling there. Start answering people's questions. Start being helpful. Start being a useful member of that community. And what you'll find is if you've built those relationships proactively, then if somebody says something negative about you, people will come to your defense. So I I had a great example of that when I was building Web Mystery Shoppers. And this was before what we now call social media existed. But the way I built a database of 75,000 mystery shoppers worldwide was I looked for discussion forums online where people who did in-store mystery shopping talked to each other. And so my staff and I would go into these discussion forums and we'd just chat with people. And we would be useful, helpful, friendly members of that community. Now, the nature of my business was at any given time, yeah, I had thousands, tens of thousands of people in my database who I could call on to do a project. But the vast majority of them would only get a project once or twice a year because I needed fresh people and I needed to find people who were a demographic match for my client's target market. And there's so many scams in mystery shopping that if people didn't hear from you more regularly, they'd think you were a scam. Mm-hmm. And invariably, people would start posting saying, ah, what's with this web mystery shoppers? Because we did make them do a training assignment as well, for which they weren't <laughs> paid. And they'd say, ah, it's a scam. I didn't have to say anything because by that point, we had built such solid relationships that others in the forum would leap to our defense. Yes. And, and you know what? Throughout this whole conversation today, that is one of the biggest takeaways, I think, is that relationships are key, whether it's with your vendors, with your banker, with your customers, with your employees. The relationships are really key. And, you know, we're just going to have to have you back on the show because we are already out of time here. And I have about five other questions I want to ask you. So uh, to conclude, when is your book going to be available? Well, it should be up on Amazon within the next couple of so by mid to late May. But I'd be happy to be back on the show in the fall, <laughs> and we'll be yeah. doing we're doing a soft launch now, and we'll be doing a, a relaunch then. So, but right now, if people go to PeopleShock.com, they can download the introduction and first chapter free. And um, I also once it is up, it's up on .ca right now, but not yet on the .com. Once it's on the .com or if you're listening from Canada and want to pre-purchase, once you pre-purchase, just send your receipt to Tema, T-E-M as in marketing, A, at frankreactions.com, and I will immediately send you the PDF version so you can start reading even while you're waiting for the final version of the book to land in your mailbox. 
Okay, well, it'll be out then within about two weeks to a month, it sounds like. Yeah. And uh, go out to peopleshock.com, and you'll be able to get all the information there. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate all your insights, and we will have you back. Thank you very much, Kelly. It was fun. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.